The Island Portugal Business Network is comprised of more than 150 member companies based in Portugal and Ireland. These companies are from a wide range of industries and professions and represent in excess of 25,000 people. Again, thank you all for you know attending this morning. I do appreciate it. Um, we're going to talk now about project management and the role as entrepreneur. Um, and what I want to do is be able to give you some really useful tools from project management that you could use, you know, in your everyday business as entrepreneurs or aspiring project managers or whatever you, whatever, whatever area you come, you come from. So, you know, my, my point here is, I, you know, I wear different hats. So you've got the project management hat where I'm the person that's in charge of a temporary project um and obviously requires um not just experience but qualifications to do that as well and my entrepreneurial hat so personally sets up a business um in taking on the risk in hope of a profit so um i hope that you've I've got quite a few entrepreneurs here i know there are a lot in the ibpn and there's just a list there of the startups that i've been involved in over the years and arnold mentioned as well really proud to have won the business success award um, last year for setting up the the I, uh, the Portugal IT nearshore business. Um, I'm going to just get you now, if you've got a QR code, if you can, just to um, log on here to um, cast a little vote. Okay, here we go, exploded. Cork Island, great. London, great. Ireland, Lisbon and Portugal. Okay, excellent. I'll just go on to the, the next question here. How many people in your organization? Is it just you, two to 10, 10 to 50 or 50 plus? So this, while I'm, while I'm waiting for responses, this is another tool you could use if you wanted to do, it's free, it's called menti.com. You might've heard of uh, Kahoot, which is similar. Um, this is really good if you wanted to, you know, get voting from your team or anonymous voting on certain aspects or just input from the team, brainstorming. Um, as I say, that it's sort of, you know, the basic level is free. Um, so this would be a good thing to, to, um, to have. There we go. And here's the answers here. So we've got one person, just a little old me, two to 10, four and 50 plus. Okay, great. And just one more question. What interests you in project management? And I think for me, project management was kind of a shrouded in a sort of mystery when I decided five years ago I wanted to get into project management. Um, for me, I, I, I'm apparently quite good at delegating. <laughs> so that's what I thought it was all about. And I was a bit wrong. But I think project management is becoming a really big um, chosen career path where if you speak to project managers with 20 years experience, they will often tell you they fell into project management. Here we go teamwork to lead people general leadership again budgeting yeah delegation okay performance organization communication and efficiency and efficiency is a bit louder so a few people a little bit bigger so a few people must have chosen that as about efficiency so yes i would agree with you um with those as as well the other side to project management is the fact that you're probably already quite proficient in a lot of project management tools and techniques, but maybe you don't have the terminology um, that you know you would use in project management, especially if you are, um, you know, business owners. So let's let's move on. So what what is a project? So a project is a temporary endeavor. It has a clear beginning, a clear end, 
and it, the result is a, a service or a product um, at the end. And what is project management? It's the application of the knowledge and the skills. Um, it's you know identifying requirements, identifying objectives, balancing the budgets, the scope, the time and the cost, and adapting to the as the project changes because changes are inevitable. And I'm sure that as you as business owners and entrepreneurs can relate to a lot of those um, areas as well. So in project management, project managers always have to get the right balance for the what's called the triple constraint. So this is the schedule, cost, quality, and scope. So during, during projects, project managers are always assessing the impact of what that might, um, any kind of changes that might affect the project. So it might sound familiar to you when your clients start asking for more than what's in scope. This is known as scope creep. Or maybe they want to start adding some more flair to your product or to your service. And this is known as gold plating. So a project manager, before accepting any changes um, from a client, they would be assessing the impact on the triple constraint uh, when a scope change request might come in. And a point to note, when you are putting together requirements, project charters, project plans, scopes, et cetera, et cetera, it's, you know, obviously what's in scope is very important, but it's just as important to consider what's out of scope. Okay. Um, and generally, you know, if a project goes over time or it goes over budget, then those things might be forgotten. But if you compromise on quality, no one will forget. So that's the triple constraint. And then the PMI, which is the Project Management Institute, this is their talent triangle. This is their expectations of what skill set you should have as a project manager. So here we've got the, the ways of working. Uh, so knowing like the tools and techniques and the formal processes of running a project, the power skills are your soft skills and behaviors to get the most out of your project team and make them as high performing as possible. And business acumen, you know, is understanding, you know, how important that project is to the business um, and looking at sort of strategic factors that could affect the project while understanding the business relationship between the organization and the project. So this is things looking at the risks and issues, the financial implications, the cost versus benefit analysis, business value, scope, budget, uh, schedule and quality. So again, I'm sure you could recognize yourselves in all of these. Certainly when I got into project management, I knew I had the business acumen. I knew why a certain project would be good for the business. I hoped I'd had the power skills to, to lead teams because I've been leading teams for, for a long time but I didn't have the, the tools, the techniques, the processes to, form, you know, to, to formally run projects. And then you, you as entrepreneurs, you know, I've just sort of thought here really, you know, you need to have business acumen, you need to have purpose, resilience and risk appetite. And, you know, there's more creativity, adaptability, communication skills, sales skills, marketing skills, all of it. Um, and, you know, risk appetite is something we're going to focus on a little bit later because this is the known unknowns and the known is the unknown unknowns and the known unknowns and is a core, core part of project management. And risks sound like they can be catastrophic, don't they? But some risks are opportunities. And it's all about um, identifying risks before they come become issues. Now, just to move on here, Arnold mentioned before, so you might have heard this agile project management. See, it might be sort of a new buzzword you've uh, you've um, you've heard in the 
around um, and wondered what it's all about. So really, I'm going to give you in a nutshell, <laughs> simply put, a traditional project would be planned from A to Z before kickoff. And you would have your product or your service, et cetera, you know, planned from A to Z. And at Z, the stakeholder gets involved as you present your service or your product to them. Yeah, your stakeholder, your client, et cetera. Agile projects, they work more where you plan, of course, A to Z, but then you plan more thoroughly A to B, B to C, C to D, et cetera. And after each phase gate or iteration, A to B, et cetera, you then take some time to look back at the previous phase, a retrospective, and look at what you did well, what you didn't do so well, and what you could do better. And so you can then implement those changes into the next phase of the project. Um, and a stakeholder would get involved in those retrospectives or stage gates or iterations, whatever you want to call them, so they can put their input in and you're open to changes from them. So they don't have a surprise at point Z going, well, this isn't what I ordered. This isn't, this doesn't look like it because they've been involved throughout the entire length of the project and you've adapted to the changes. So that's that in, in, a, in a nutshell. Um, and with, with agile project management, it's all about developing a team. It's developing a high performance team. It's getting the best out of your team. It's getting them to work, to be you know, a self-managing team rather than, um, rather than, you know, a project manager directing the team, directing, controlling, uh, you know, hovering over, if you like, you're actually getting the best out of your team. So we're going to go back now to risk. Um, you know, risk management, as I say, is a really big part of project management. So I want to spend some time here as well. You've got here this sort of Indiana Jones School of Risk Management. This is the reactive risk management. So this is where maybe you've put aside a management reserve, some financial in case the project goes over budget, for example, or where the risks are really becoming issues and you're having to put out a lot of fires. So over here is uh, my sensible Lego lady, I like to call her. She's a proactive risk management. So she's identifying all the risks early on She's estimating their probability and impact, and then she's able to mitigate, monitor, and manage the risks before they become anything else but issues. And to you know, manage your risks, or they will manage you. So it's really important at the early stage to look at what potential risks could affect your projects. Now let's look at you as a person. Uh, so you know, what's your personal appetite for risk? Are you risk adverse? Are you risk neutral or are you risk seeking? Are you throw caution to the wind? So this I'm going to go back to Menti now and ask for your input on this. Here we go. So go back to the Menti, same code as before. Here we go. Sorry. Can you see the screen there? What appetite do you have for risk and where does your company belong? Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Give it a little nudge. 
Here we go. Okay, that's seven people answered that. So you all seem to be, have a high appetite for risk. And if you're entrepreneurs, you probably have to, right? You've taken a risk, you've started a business, et cetera. Mm. But then you need to think about where your company belongs. So as a project manager, absolutely, I'm the optimistic project manager. Everything's going to work out fine. You know, I've got all my risks. I've got my project plan. I know what's in scope, et cetera, et cetera. But you also need to think about what about your company? Maybe they're not so high risk. You know, maybe you work for a public sector um, or, you know, a government body. So you, you need to appreciate the difference between your entrepreneurial risk appetite and your project management risk appetite and find a balance between, between the two. Thank you, just moving back on there. Okay, so I'll just um, talk a little bit about risks again. Um, so, you know, a risk is an uncertain event if it occurs, an issue is when it's already happened, an assumption is a factor that for planning purposes, you is considered to be true, real, or certain without proof. A constraint, this could be a time constraint, this could be a COVID lockdown constraint, this could be a budgetary constraint, and then an excuse. So a reason or an explanation given to justify a fault or offence. So the idea is to uh, identify all probable risks. As I say, they're not all catastrophic. Um, and before they become any of the following, and before they become an issue. So a risk is something good or bad might happen. There is an opportunity there. Uh, an issue is something bad did happen. So we're looking at that as a retrospective. An assumption is let's take this belief to be fact until we learn otherwise. And a constraint is a rule we have to, to follow. An excuse just doesn't cut it in project management. That's when you've left it too long. All right, I'm moving on now to stakeholder power because project management and stakeholder management go hand in hand. It's so important. You know, who are your stakeholders? They're not just your direct clients. Stakeholders have the power to help your project and they also have the power to crush your project because not everybody's on, uh, on board with, um, with your project. And early stakeholder buy-in is absolutely essential to reduce the risk further into your project. So I want to give you a little tool now. So I'm sure you're all thinking of your businesses or your projects or whatever, and all the, all the, the um, stakeholders that are involved. And you've got to think your stakeholders could be the general public, your bank manager, the assistant to a major client you work with, your finance department, because certainly with small businesses, cash flow can always be you know, a, a big problem. Um, so who's writing the checks? Always be nice to finance assistance. They have reverent power over your key stakeholder. So you need to understand stakeholder power and influence, so, i.e. the extent to which stakeholders are capable of persuading or forcing others to take particular decisions or act in a certain way. This is a really simple tool you can use at the start of a project. So you brainstorm all your stakeholders, you narrow them down to a, a certain um, area. Um, and then you put them in a grid here and you assess their high power, low power, their low interest or their high interest. Really simple thing to do. You don't have to get fancy with Excel or any of the software tools just to help you think, OK, this person has, you know, high power over my project, my endeavor, but low interest. 
um, and that's probably not going to be suitable. So once you've taken that a step further and you've put your stakeholders, you know that you, who you need to keep satisfied, who you need to manage closely, who you need to monitor and who you need to keep involved. And this tool then feeds into your communication plan. How often are you going to talk to these people? How are you going to talk to them without boring them? Are you going to give them push notifications? Are they going to be able to get the information from, from a, a website, for example, which are pull notifications? So just understanding where your stakeholders sit and think about how you're going to then communicate with them, how often, and think about how closely you're going to manage them. And just taking that one step further, your stakeholders could be blissfully unaware of who you are. They could be chained. They could be resistant to what you're trying to do. They might be nothing. They might be neutral. They could be supportive and they could be leading. So another tool to use is to map out your stakeholders. For example, our marketing manager blissfully unaware of what we want them to do. And re really, we need them. We need their desired state to be supportive. OK, you might have a customer here is neutral and you want them to be supportive, you, but you could have a sponsor or you could have a, a, another person in your team who is resistant and you need them to be leading. So, again, just by doing this really simple exercise, you can think, what, what's their current state of these stakeholders and how am I going to get them to their desired state? And as I say, going back to early stakeholder buy in is paramount to do that. Um, so yeah, there's just a simple tools that will help you. So you've got this power interest grid, analyzing your stakeholders and, and putting them in a current state and a desired state and mapping out how you're gonna get them to, how you're gonna get them there. Moving on now to communication management. This is Mercury, the power of communication. No one seemed to know that when I, when I asked them. Uh, so again, you know, stakeholder management, of course it feeds into communication management. This is again a really simple tool to help you when you're talking when you're talking about your stakeholders to think okay what color are my stakeholders okay how am i going to how am i going to communicate with them based on what color they are now you'll probably find this really simple to identify yourself so here we've got the red the red people we just say the red he's a red she's a red she's a yellow competitive demanding we've got the sociable dynamic yellows We've got the caring, encouraging greens. I like to call them the worker bees. And you've got the detail-orientated blues, uh, the people who love an Excel spreadsheet. So, you know, could you maybe give me a thumbs up if you identify what colour you are straight away? Yes. Okay. And you can be a mix, absolutely. Um, it probably wouldn't surprise you to hear I'm a yellow um, with a bit of red. Um, and certainly when I was, I talked to you uh, earlier about me being in my, my beautiful cottage in the country, but not for five months because yellows hate isolation. So maybe if you've got a remote worker who's a yellow, you would spend more time communicating with them, you know, face to face or webcam to webcam, whatever it might be. Um, people on the blue, people on the blue and the green side, they tend to be more introverts and they would prefer to receive an email rather than a, a sort of a phone call first, okay? So it's like given the detail, let them absorb the detail, and then maybe you'd follow up with a call. People on the red and the yellow side are usually extroverts, and they would prefer a phone call or a Teams call or a Zoom call over receiving an email. And I wonder if that resonates with you. Um, it certainly does with me. 
Uh, so, of course, with the reds and the yellows, you might start with a phone call, but then you would follow up with an email. With the blues and the greens, you would give them the information first to let them absorb it, but then you would obviously follow up with a with, with a phone call. Um, so I know with my previous CEO, he's absolute blue. So if I went to him with a spreadsheet, I would have to talk to him first, um, setting up before I showed him anything. I would have to talk to him first, setting up what I was about to show him. Because as soon as I showed him a spreadsheet, he was lost and he wasn't listening to me anymore. So, you know, if you can identify the people you work with by this really simple method and think, right, this person's a red, I'm going to be bright, be brief, be gone. OK, or I've got a remote worker who's a yellow. I'm going to make sure I have prioritized my one to ones with that person rather than moving them, you know, rather than, um, you know, prioritizing other meetings over their one to one. Again, as a remote worker, you know, there's been stages where I haven't spoken to anyone in a one to one capacity for sort of weeks sometimes. And again, you know, mentioning that I'm a yellow, that's that's actually quite bad for me. You know, if you want to keep people motivated, you don't want to lose them from your team. You need to think how best to communicate with them. Okay, moving on now to another tool. So decision making. Um, this is a simple tool called a decision matrix that you might use if you've got multiple stakeholders getting involved at making a decision. So the the what I've illustrated here is a decision needed to be made between multiple stakeholders and which supplier we should use. Now you, you would list the factors that are important and you would give them an associated weighting and you do that as a, as a group collaboration. And you could choose this for recruiting purposes. You could choose this when you're interviewing candidates, you could choose it for what project you run with. And I'll show you a, a live, um, an, an actual working document at the end of this. So this is the most crucial stage, actually saying, OK, what are the categories that are really important to us when we're choosing a supplier and what weighting are we going to give them? OK, so you'd have the multiple stakeholders giving it a weighting from one to ten. Now, you wouldn't use this for every project, OK, but, you know, for sort of controversial or really important decisions, it, it shows everyone has their say and is really transparent. And it gets people debating factors that are important rather than fixating on merits of one particular option. So importantly for the project manager, it provides a record of exactly why the, the team chose the winning option so that the decision can be defended afterwards and why people, when suddenly people are asking you why you made such a crazy decision. So the hardest part is getting the, the, all the multiple stakeholders together and giving it a weighting. So here we go, supplier one, and then you give them a point and they'll get an overall score. Um, and you start sort of evaluating supplier one, supplier two, supplier three, et cetera. Here we go. So then you have, uh, you know, a transparent uh, decision making. Once the individual, once the individual scores have been assigned to each option, um, then totaled up. The option with the highest score should appear, and this is the option you should choose. Now, when we decided to look at other countries to set up Aspira, um, we did a decision matrix. So this is a real live one. So we looked at London, Stuttgart, Munich, Manchester, Seville, and Lisbon. And these were the different um, factors that we wanted to put in. And Lisbon came out as a complete, as a clear winner and actually surprised us. 
so this is, as I say, a real life working document, so a real life project management tool that you could use when doing that. And as I say, again, you know, from a recruitment perspective, it could be really useful to use when you're doing interviewing. So you have a, a nice uh, transparent view of why you picked that particular person. So estimating. So this is a quick tip for estimating. So think about when you're asking someone for an estimate on how long a task or a project might take, they might feel under pressure to give you an estimate because suddenly that's seen as a deadline. Okay. And so, you know, you, you, and then suddenly they're under pressure to perform to that deadline and it might be unrealistic. So you could confuse effort and duration if someone says to you okay it's going to take five days of work to complete this task this doesn't mean it's the same as the task will be ready in five days because of bandwidth because of available resources etc and you know optimistic evaluation so you know we've talked we're entrepreneurs we have to be optimists I mean you don't go into business being a pessimist and um, you never keep going so we need to ensure that our estimates have a healthy dose of realism. So you don't want to fall into the trap of a best case estimation. And it can be tempted to have estimates that fall nicely in line with your customer's demands. Yes, yes, Mrs. Customer, I can do that for you in this amount of time. But you really need to ensure that whatever you sign can actually be delivered. So a really simple tool to use is when you're doing estimates, you think of the optimistic time, the most likely, and the pessimistic time. Again, so just this sort of goes on further in project management talk, but just to keep it simple, this could be a good way of saying, okay, so when can this task be done optimistically, most likely, and pessimistically, and giving yourself an average of uh, a number that you could probably stick to. So again, especially if you're working with teams and they are, you're asking them for an estimation of time and maybe you feel that they clam up or they don't want to give you the time or they're avoiding it. So maybe if you ask them to give you optimistic, most likely and pessimistic uh, time, you can um, decide, uh, you know, you can get a, a more of a realistic figure and take some pressure off the team as well because they think it would be a deadline. Um, and this, you know, this is another tool that we use for maybe if you're looking at projects, so, for example, project A and project B, which project has the less risk? Let's for, therefore, let's prioritize that project. OK, so I finished way earlier than I thought, <laughs> but I gave you some um, hopefully gave you some good tips there. Well, uh, shall we? Do, OK, let's go to a Mentimeter. I just want to get clear, clear learnings from today and then maybe we can sort of expand on those. Yeah. Yeah. Be really great feedback to get what you're what you got most out of today. Yeah, client buy-in, yeah, great. So risk, strategy, advice, client buy-in, decision-making, process clarity, and terminology. And yet, as I say today, that the, the main goal was actually to give you some real-life tools that you could use, because I could talk for four more days on project management, and that's what I generally do. Um, but I wanted to try and make it as, as useful um, a, as useful a presentation as possible so you could go away and use those and if you did have a more of a, an inkling to want to study project management more then of course you know we, we could talk about the um what that would look like this has been a production of the ipbn in partnership with pink room for more information visit us online at island-portugal.com 
and on LinkedIn at Island Portugal Business Network. For more IPBN podcasts, find us on Spotify or visit our website for the full list of episodes.